hello. Welcome to I Love Rock and Roll. I'm Ken Krantz, and uh, Chip couldn't be here today. Uh, so I have a guest co-host. It's been a little while uh, since we've done a co-host, but my co-host today is the owner of one of my favorite comedy clubs in all of America. Uh, but to be fair, only like three clubs work me. Um <laughs> But he's the owner of one of my favorite clubs. He's a really funny comic in his own right. And he's one of my best friends. Give it up for Dan McRitchie. I said give it up like people are going to clap now. Clap, I, I, yeah. yeah, I'm so used to fucking stand up. Like nobody's like at home. Like, oh, my God, it's Dan. You're so used to not being a headliner. Introduce people. Yeah. Thanks, Ken. <laughs> 15 years in, and I've, I've still got my hosting jobs. Yes. Awesome. <laughs> uh, Dan, since you were nice enough to bring us today's guest, why don't you introduce him to everybody? Sure. You know, I've been listening to the podcast, and you guys have had some great drummers on, and uh, happen to know one that's uh, living in the Poughkeepsie area where, where my club is. So figured, why don't we bring on Matt Byrne from Hatebreed? Woo! Yeah, that I'm clapping. <laughs> hey, give oh, yeah. it up for Matt. <laughs> like we're at laugh it up right now. Yeah. <laughs> and if Ken was on stage, a Puerto Rican grandmother would be walking out right about now. It happened. <laughs> That's a whole nother story. Happened one time. Yeah. Um, it was super fast though. Uh, <laughs> you you know what? You bring up a good point. I don't know how. Like this never. Like we never intended to become like a drummer podcast, but it seems like we've had we've had some incredible drummers. Like more more drummers than anybody else. I feel like I'm honored. Yeah, I'm part of the elite. Yes. Now. Yeah. This is good. Yep. It is good. All right. I'll talk to you guys. See ya. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're 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 in good company. Um, I guess my, my first question is, uh, your, so how you've been in hate breed for how long? Uh, roughly 20, let's see, 21 years now, give or take. Uh, there was a stint in uh, the late nineties, 98 to 99, where I was in the band for about a year, just short of a year. And then I left for a while and I came back in 2001 and I've been back since 2001. So if you lump it all together, yeah, 22 years. Something like that. Oh, it's like, uh, like, yeah, like when Michael Jordan went to play baseball. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what I did. I went to play baseball. You know, <laughs> I do love baseball. Let's talk about the Yankees. I mean, I'll do my best to hang with this new team. But uh, yeah, no. So, yeah, 22 years. Um, man, and time flies. You know, I didn't think it was going to last five years. Uh, not for any reason other than you never know the longevity of a band. I mean, Look at hair metal. You know, one day Nirvana came out and it was like later. Yeah. So it, it um, was over. you just never know with music, man. It's it's a fickle, crazy thing. So I'm just happy to still be. Uh, I turned a hobby into a career, you know, with some great guys. And it's it's wild. You know, I still love music just as much as I did way back when. And I still love these guys that I jam with just as much, which is weird because we should hate each other at this point. Yeah. And, uh, well, I know, mean, the, it's it's in the name of the band. Yeah, I mean, should, yeah. I mean, it's just it's obvious. We should have a VH1 story about how we fell apart and it was terrible. But uh, luckily, we're still here. So hey, so for us. I guess my first question is: so you've been a professional, uh, working, touring musician for tw twenty some odd years. Yeah. Um, 
why are you living in Poughkeepsie? How did <laughs> <laughs> what? That couldn't have been your dream. I mean, that's a great second question. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, no, you know, like born and raised here. Um, I got to say, though, I have wondered that myself over the years. And I guess I'm just a procrastinator and never pulled the trigger to get out of here. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, my roots are here. I'm born and raised. My parents are still here. Uh, they're in Wappingers. And coincidentally, I'm actually in Wappingers now. Been, we've been in this house for four years and I'm not far from my parents, not far from where I grew up. So I kind of came back to my roots. And um, I guess the best answer is uh, I realized over the years of traveling throughout Europe and traveling all over the U.S. and going to these other countries and stuff and seeing a lot of different people and, and places. And, uh, you know, that's but that's what gave me the, the bigger appreciation for coming back home. Yeah, I think you go through your teenage years like, man, this place sucks, man. There's nothing to do around here. I can't wait to get out of here, man. I'm moving to Florida or I'm going wherever, you know, and you have these dreams of like expanding and leaving, you know, and then uh when i did that i was like no way this is the best place to be this is where i this is home so i never wanted to leave you know and i saw everywhere else and was like there's no place like home it's true yeah um oh looks like we lost him well thank god we lost dan oh damn we lost him. <laughs> get him out of here jesus now we can yeah right now we can talk shit about him human thumb looking motherfucker <laughs> um there is something uh there's something uh beautiful about Poughkeepsie like it just it I've never been to a city that had a higher concentration of weirdos per square mile definitely and I think rivaled only maybe by Newburgh maybe yeah. Um, but Poughkeepsie definitely has its own thing going on. The Hudson Valley in general. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, I never wanted to leave the area. My roots are here. I never felt the need to leave. I've talked about leaving. Yeah, I'm going to get a place in Florida or something. Just never happened. This is home. Yeah. So uh, you guys have a big summer tour coming up. Yes, sir. Yeah. Uh, COVID be damned. We're, we're, we're at the end of it now where bands are hitting the road again. And life is coming back to normal. And um, we originally had a tour lined up, which, which should be on right now with a band called Parkway Drive. That got canceled. Uh, thankfully, one door closes, another opens. And starting July 26th, we're going out with Anthrax and Black Label Society around the U.S. That's amazing. Go, uh, starts in Phoenix, ends in Philadelphia, hitting everywhere in between. And uh, yeah, what a great it's a perfect summer tour, man. Every band brings something different to the table. So I know from a fan standpoint, I always like to see a tour like that. So you're not seeing the, the same band over and over. So yeah, it's going to be fun. We've known those guys, all those guys for a long, long time. We've crossed paths. We've toured with black label before 2015, never officially toured with anthrax. So I'm psyched, you know, being like a, a thrash head, you know, these, the, the bands that I listened to growing up, you know, the, all the thrash stuff, Metallica, Megadeth, Anthrax, Slayer, uh, Exodus, and um, Anthrax is another I can check off the list and say, like, I toured with my heroes, you know? Yeah. D does that ever get old? When, when you, I mean, you probably had posters of them on your wall and. Oh, yeah. Still do. <laughs> <laughs> Still do. Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, it gets old. It sucks, right? <laughs> I mean, it's terrible. I I yeah. still I still do the same with comics that I work with, like uh, uh, the show Tough Crowd with Colin Quinn is is what made me want to do comedy. I don't know if you remember it. It was just Colin Quinn would bring on different comedians and they would break each other's balls for half an hour it's and talk wonderful. about what's in the news, and that's. <laughs> I, before I even wanted to do comedy, I would watch that show and I was like, oh, I, 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 I want to figure out how to be friends with comedians because I feel like I could, I, I could bust their balls at that level. And, yeah, you could um, hang with them. Yeah, so I still get, I still get excited uh, anytime I perform with a tough crowd comic. I still get that like, nice. like that childlike. Um, yeah, you know, when that feeling goes away, then, then you know it's time to quit. I think, because that's what brought you here in the first place. That feeling, you know, the butterflies in your stomach, that that subtle anxiety right before you hit the stage. You know, that's all part of the rush, right? Yeah. When you don't have that anymore. Why do it? Yeah, yeah. It, and it's um, it's been a tough few years, right? Like, what? How, how many uh, how many shows, tours have gotten canceled and rescheduled for you? Well, this Parkway Drive tour. It finally got canceled and the bottom fell out. It was supposed to be in America. and Never got a, a real reason why it finally wasn't going to happen. But that tour alone got postponed and rescheduled three or four times. So we were finally in the home stretch. And to have it go away was like, oh, man. That's the lineups funny. had changed a little bit every time. And the routing would change. And everyone was still hanging in there. But I guess it just wasn't meant to be. Yeah. That's frustrating. Yeah, but it's it's like you said, it then now it works out that you end up with uh anthrax and black label society. Exactly. Yeah, one door closes, another opens. It's great. It was just like the perfect setup. Um, and uh yeah, I mean, I love playing the metal crowds, you know. It's all heavy metal to me. I mean, there's so many of these uh subgenres and different labels of music and and whatever, but it's all heavy metal to me. So being a metal fan, it's like, yeah, I'm going on a metal tour. Sick. <laughs> Zach Wilde shredding. Scott Ian shredding. You know, Charlie Benanti, one of my favorite drummers, you know, who I know him, you know, well enough to be able to bro down with him. So it's going to be a good time. Um, well, I'm back. Welcome <laughs> back, Dan. And he's back. Yeah. Just this a little power outage. <laughs> Had to wait for the generator to kick on, so. It's it's almost oh, like know. God's trying to tell us nobody wants this interview. <laughs> As Slayer said, God hates us all. <laughs> they just don't want me doing this, man. First, no sound. And then we're losing power. <laughs> Tornado weather outside. Um, yeah, I mean, that's uh, what you get for living in the sticks. I mean, Jesus. Do, do you remember the first metal album that that blew your mind that that made you like sit up and take notice i can't there's been a couple and it's been in stages mm -hmm. i think uh i had a cousin that turned me on to zeppelin yeah so i'm here in zeppelin actually it was black sabbath first mm -hmm. uh, electric funeral was the first song i ever heard from sabbath and was like what the hell that you know dirgy type of bow 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 like, how do you get a guitar to sound like that? Because up to that point, drugs life, I was like into run DMC, man, raising hell. And right. like, I was into beastie boys. You know, I was into like, I liked rock music, but that was the heaviest thing I had heard. And then from there was Zeppelin. 
And it would just, I was like the drums, you know, and Robert Plant's voice and everything. And then I made a quick jump to Iron Maiden. Peace of Mind was the first record I heard. And I was like, what is this? So then, yeah, just kicked the doors open. And uh, then I got uh, Metallica Master of Puppets and it was game over. From there, it was like DRI. It was a mix of metal and hardcore, you know, or punk. Um, got all the Metallica records. Got turned on to Testament, DRI. Finally got into Slayer. And then it was just like, oh, yeah, this is the top. Nobody's going to top Slayer. They're the best thing ever. So, and then forget it when Cannibal Corpse or Death came around, then it's like they set the bar even higher. Now it's like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> Isn't it funny how you go from like, and the Beastie Boys and Run DMC are both obviously uh, great bands, but how you go from like what you like as a kid and then you hear what what's going to form your personality. Like I've Absolutely. said it a million times on the, the first time I heard, um, david bowie live i was i was like 12 or 13 and i got stoned and my brother gave me a copy of david live and then it was like like before that day it was like all huey lewis and billy joel and chicago like whatever right. my parents had on in the in the station wagon right and then uh, yeah and then i heard it was that. like where where we're uh, my mother's side was a huge beatles family my mm -hmm. mother saw the beatles at carnegie hall and oh, wow. she sat behind she was on stage in folding chairs because they, they ran out of space. It was so sold out. Beatlemania, they had her on stage. It was her and a friend of hers and my grandfather. And they had him on folding chairs sitting behind Ringo. And that was considered a bad seat. Like, well, let's stick him up there, you know. But she was like, oh, we were rocking out, you know. And your grandfather took me like, oh, God, I got to take my kid to this concert. But I looked over and he was rocking out the whole time. He was trying <laughs> to hide it, but he loved it. So, yeah, Beatles, Beatles family all the way. So my father, uh, my father was into like CCR mm -hmm. and they had the American graffiti soundtrack laying around the house. So it's all the doo-wop stuff. And uh, so it was like a lot of stuff coming at me all at once um, between rock and like some heavier rock class. What's classic rock yeah. now? You know, now, um, how old are you, Matt? Now? Yeah. 46. All right. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, so he's we're close. the same age. Yeah. 46. Um, I'm getting yeah, some grades here, so it might like <laughs> I should have shaved before this. I could I could have said I was 39, easy or 35. <laughs> Probably would have gotten away with it. Yeah, we're around the same time. And the, the weird thing is, like with the Beastie Boys, uh, I was in the Slayer before the Beastie Boys came out. You know, Slayer had their first two albums before that. So it was like their connection was huge because like all my metalhead friends started liking the Beastie Boys because Carrie King was doing the fight for your right to party and yeah. kill Brooklyn because you know Ruben put them together so it was like that was a that was the first time I saw something like that and then obviously when Anthrax did it with Public Enemy it was you know a similar melding yeah and you had Aerosmith with Run DMC right remember that that was so I was like one. man this is weird that they could do that who would have thought to do that and it was just like another hit on the radio you didn't I didn't analyze it as much back then as I do now, like the melding of different genres and stuff. Back then it was just catchy and good. Like, wow, this is cool. You know, you got Run DMC with their Adidas and you got Steven Tyler doing his cackling and, and what he does with Aerosmith, but it made sense. Oh yeah. Yep. And then 91 when Anthrax did it with Public Enemy. So yeah, was into Public Enemy, man. Fear of a Black Planet in high school all the way. Uh, now, uh, speaking of Anthrax. Yeah. 
Got some good news on that front, right? Oh, yeah. I can't wait to go out with them. I wonder if they'll do that. I don't know if they'll, because it's technically it's the Anthrax. This tour is billed as their 40th anniversary. That's so, crazy uh, to think. Like, I'm I'm sure it's like you said, like, you can't believe you've been around 20 years. I'm sure Anthrax is looking around like 40, like how the, weird. because yeah. it's, it's not, it's not music that gets played on the radio a lot. And it's uh, back then, you know, 40 years ago is, is the eighties back then y- you pretty much had to be on the radio to, to have a career. What I, yeah. I I think what some of those metal bands did, like you look at like uh, like Judas Priest and Iron Maiden, how they've sold hundreds of millions of records with with no airplay, is yeah, yeah. And what's the deal right now with Priest? Are they in the Hall of Fame or not? You know, I like- I was going to ask you that. It's it's it seems <laughs> like it seems like they're in with an asterisk. Or it like they, right? What, yeah, they what, got the steroid. They got the steroid. Uh, it's yeah, it, they, they were like. like got- well, we're not going to let you in. We're just going to give you this award that's like part of what we do. Yeah, yeah. It's go. like yeah, it's like they get the lifetime achievement or something, but not. I I didn't understand that. And, I don't either. Um, I'm asking everyone constantly. <laughs> What's the deal? Are they in or not? They didn't. They didn't get the vote, so they've got this side thing that they do that they can allow people in. I mean, just let them in. I mean, you can't. Yeah you don't have a band that deserves it any more than Judas Priest. I mean, yeah. I mean, come on. They're iconic. It, they they should be in on their album covers alone. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, on the stage attire. Exa- that's the, what I was going to yeah. say. Oh, oh my God. God. And you know, not for nothing, but like the day and age we live in now where, um, you know, society is loosened up, I guess, on a lot of things compared to way back when. And think about what Halford has gone through and come through up till now. You'd think he'd be a shoe in. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, just yeah. on that alone, not, not even saying that the band's been around for 40 something years and, and uh, you know, they, the music's killer and they deserve to be in, you know. Yeah. And like, I mean, it was the worst kept secret in rock and roll, but, you know, like my brother and my cousins were all like, you know, seven to 10 years older than me. And they're going, they're going to priest, like totally into it. And then all of a sudden they're like, Alfred was gay. I'm like, no, he is gay. And like, how did you it's not? He know? was. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there is no was. Yeah. <laughs> like you couldn't tell by attire alone. I mean, come on. Yeah. It I, doesn't I, go away. It's, you know, it's him. People. There you go. It's him. People didn't know Freddie Mercury was gay. I, I mean, it's like they're called queen. Yeah. I, I'm, <laughs> they, they couldn't have. It's, and, it's yeah. yeah. I, I, maybe people were just in denial. They didn't want to see it. Yes. It, it, it was, was it was a big it was a different I, day and age. I read, altogether. I read stories when uh, Freddie Mercury grew his mustache that he would go out and perform and people would be throwing uh, razors at him. Like furious that because they didn't think a rock star should have a mustache. Wow, it's a little bit different than your comedy show. People <laughs> <laughs> throw razors at you and tell you to cut your wrist. Yeah, we'll I mean, you think about it. Early punk shows, uh, you know, the crowd was spitting on the band, and that was a, a show of affection. That that to me, I mean, that was. It, it, were, did that ever happen to you? Because I would stop the show just to, just as a neurotic Jew. Like I would, I would be like, 
The show's over. This fella spit on me. That's disgusting. I have to go shower. Right. That was that, no, was, that was that was definitely before my time. The first time I ever heard about it, I think, was uh, reading about I think Rollins talks about it in one of his many books where it was like, yeah, you know, torn around, especially in Europe. The band would just yeah. uh, the crowd would just start spitting on him. And he was like, what the fuck? You know, he's getting it in his mouth and it's crazy. Oh, and his hair is like all boogered up from the phlegm and everything. And, and the crowd's like, no, th- we love you guys. <laughs> yeah, I'd, like, I'd be really, like, that's how it works. It, yeah, that, it was big in England with the like with the English punk scene. But um, I, I, that would that would uh, I, I would vomit like the show would have to stop because I would be dry even. Yeah, no, I couldn't I couldn't hack it. I got I hit in the chest once with somebody's glasses and a combat boot. That does it for me. And I was still able to keep playing. So I was like, all right, I'll take that spit and all this other crap. Now. Nah. I hope you kept the boot. Like I, like I hope I that kept somebody- the glasses. <laughs> <laughs> I hope somebody hobbled home. We, we, we had a, uh, uh, Vaden Lewis, the lead singer of the toadies was on and he was telling us a story about, someone threw their prosthetic leg on stage and uh, uh, you just got to be super confident. That's coming back to you. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say the part Matt her- doesn't, I was going to say the part Matt doesn't tell you is that Jamie got hit with the foot. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> it's happened. <laughs> We've had to sign that stuff. I know that we never kept it. Like who, whose is this and how are they getting it back? Yeah. But you know, you definitely, you know, signing autographs at the Oz fest which, you know, yeah. awesome. And oh my God, those fests were so good. But line of people coming through and we've signed all sorts of stuff, from prosthetic arms, legs. Oh yeah. we The best is when, uh, you know, you're up there playing festival setting, huge crowd out there and someone is uh, crowd surfing in a wheelchair. Oh and, yeah. And I, I, I mean, that's, that's always great. I've, I've seen that. I see that at uh Social distortion. I've seen that at a few. Like I think they're. I think they have a super wheelchair fan because every time I've seen social distortion in New York or New Jersey, I've seen that. So I'm like, that's yeah. that's got to be the same dude. <laughs> that's got to be. <laughs> He's everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> this guy loves Mike Ness. <laughs> um. Uh, Mick Ritchie sent me over uh, some music that you did. So you have a, you have a side project called Albino yeah. Love Slaves. Yes. Did I get that yeah, right? Yeah, we're a cover a band. band. Yeah. I love that. I I love cover bands. I don't love, like, not so much like when you go to a bar and see one, but like when, when real bands form side project cover bands. I love that shit. Nice. Um, it's a lot of fun. I mean, it's the first time that I've, I mean, I was just always in hate breed and never tried to do anything else. Whereas some of the other guys were doing side stuff or a lot of guys in other bands in general have their side projects, you know, I just, uh, somewhere along the line, I, I started to hate the word project Yeah, project. I'm doing a project with this guy. And then we're doing a project with this guy. It was like, dude, you're a band starting a band. Okay. Just say it or whatever. But like everything was a project. It's not a band anymore. Get out of here. So yeah, I, I don't know. I just never, it was always hate breed, full attention. I just never put any more time into anything else. Uh, when I was home, I liked my home time and because we were on the road so much. But here we are years and years later. And uh, it's funny how it all came together too, because uh, Todd and Mike, who I jam with, who are local guys, Todd Myhan and Mike Hamill, 
we've known each other for probably 20 years, 15 years, uh, because they worked at Alto Music. And uh, Todd does not anymore, but Mike still does in Middletown. Mm -hmm. So Alto, you know, our local music store here. Everybody knows these guys from going into the music store all the time. And everybody knows that they can play their asses off. So I knew them from seeing them there, but never really. And we were all in our bands locally and stuff like that. But we never tried to kick in and jam together or anything like that. Um, so it was just like uh, Todd does does his uh, morning jam every Thursday. He, he puts it out on Facebook. It's like, you know, morning thing. Have your coffee. Watch him shred for like two minutes. He's great. He's a great guitar player. And he asked me to come on as like a guest and we'll jam. And so I was like, yeah. And then that started it. That was the spark to where we started doing some covers on his morning jam thing. And we were jamming on the side. And then uh, we do an instrumental two, two piece band. It's just drums and guitar where he's playing to a loop pedal and I'm kind of kicking back and, you know, I'll, I have a microphone. So I fill it in, I'm not singing, but I just like ham it up in between songs and stuff, but we do instrumental covers mm -hmm. So we've played like the local Elks club and stuff like that. And we played like the yacht club on the river, which is awesome. That's like very laid back, like background music. And then that went into uh, how Albino Love Slave started was um, the chance was having Tiffany play. Yeah. And they just put the word out like, Hey, we need an opener for Tiffany. So I got Todd and, and was like, dude, we got to do it. We got, who, who can we get? Let's throw a band together real quick and we'll open for Tiffany. I mean, who the fuck doesn't <laughs> want to do that? Come on, it's Tiffany. So that's where it started. He was like, yo, let's get Mike. Let's get Mike. He can do anything. And his voice is very soulful. And he's a great bass player and he sings and plays at the same time. I mean, and there you go. That's how it was born. We need a name. Let's, let's call ourselves Albino Love Slaves. It's, so it looked weird, you know, with it, Tiffany, but it works. <laughs> it works. It's a great band name. It's uh, I'll, I'll, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this in 2020, but albinos are fucking creepy, right? Like, uh, I still well, we <laughs> we actually have one in Pleasant Valley that rides around on a unicycle. Have you ever oh, seen shit. him, Matt? Oh, have you ever seen that kid riding down 44? Oh, no, yeah, never. That's I, you, you know why I say that? It, the movie Foul Play with Chevy Chase and Goldie Hawn. When oh, I yeah. was the albino Glad hitman, uh, yes. I, that scarred me when I was, I don't know why, but when I guess I was like six or seven when I saw that and I, that, <laughs> I, yeah, I, that get, was, I, I still get one. the chills thinking about that dude. But I always think of the, uh, the guy, um, the Da Vinci code guy who was like the bad guy in the movie, you know, and he has the strap around his leg and he keeps tightening it. And he's that, like that dark priest. He's an albino dark priest guy, yeah. you know? Who's just so religious? I for some reason I always think of him. I think it's it's Hollywood's fault that I think they're creepy, right? Because they never can't like yeah. you never see like an albino hero. There's never like an albino Batman. Never Powder. wasn't that movie Powder? Oh, Powder. Powder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good nineties uh, reference, that's, right that's there. Oh. Mid nineties. <laughs> um, but yeah, the name works. You know where the name comes from? Actually, it was something I read somewhere uh, along the lines. I don't even remember where, but I always felt like, damn, that would be a sick band name. Why would it be a sick band name? Because it just has that ring to it. And there's plenty of old like skate punk bands or crust punk bands or like hardcore bands that had these crazy names from like the late seventies or the early eighties. So I equ always equated it with that and the juxtaposition of like, yeah, but we're not, it's a crazy name like that, but we're not that type of band. Right. We play like Shaka Khan and we do Ludacris <laughs> yeah, and we do Stevie Wonder. And it's like, 
you know, like there's bands like Stiff Little Fingers and Broken Bones and uh, the Angry Samoans, like uh, Albino Love Slaves fits right in with them. Right. And those are the crazy punk bands. But just, the, yeah, so I was like, dude, we got to, we got to, you know, just like, uh, just wear, you know, stage persona, like, yeah, just wear what you wear, man. T-shirt, ripped up jeans, pair of sneakers and get up there and thrash like a hardcore band. But we're playing Tom Petty, reggae style. Yeah. And we're, uh, you know, like we're doing Thin Lizzy and yeah, I don't know. It works in my head and it's work. It, it, it works. No, it, it does. I was, I was watching you guys on YouTube also, and I, I saw some clips of you at the chance and, uh, it's, it's fun. I, I love when, I love, uh, when Taylor Hawkins would do that with, yeah. uh, like, do you ever see on YouTube? Like he just does a full Van Halen set, like all David. Yeah. Lee Chevy Roth metal. Yeah. Chevy cool. metal. Another great yeah. band name. Um, yeah, we actually hate breed played with Chevy metal on a festival. I think it was riot fest in Chicago. Gotta be, I don't know, six or seven years ago. So I had a chance to, to see him in action, singing and playing guitars. I've never been that close to him. You know, it was like right on the stage watching because we have done festivals with Foo Fighters in Europe over the years, but you know, they are in their own world there, yeah. you know, you're not getting close to that. Yep. So Chevy metal, a little more laid back, but man, what a talented guy. And the, the cool the thing about shame. Albino Love Slaves being the cover band is you guys just opened a couple of weeks ago for Vanilla Fudge, who made their living on doing covers. Yeah. Yeah. Coincidentally. Uh, yeah. We played at the Paramount and Peak Skill and uh, we had an opportunity to open for Vanilla Fudge. We're like, man, just, you know, class. That's classic rock all the way. That's, I mean, they, they got to be 50 or 60 years into their career now, I would think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're well into their 70s. Yeah. Carmine Apiece still yeah. playing drums. And Vince Martell on guitar. I mean, they sounded great. Man. Yeah, there you go. Drum oh, horse. I was like, why is Dan raising his hand on an audio? <laughs> <laughs> Showing the Carmine and Vinny drum horse. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I get it. I get it now. It's a lot of fun. I mean, yeah. So, so I never, uh, you know, coming back to what I was originally talking about, I never never uh put much attention on doing anything outside of hate breed for the longest time and then it just felt it was so much fun jamming with them and we were getting these crazy opportunity like tiffany vanilla fudge yeah we play local bars and stuff it's just a totally fun vibe and we come up with songs to add to our set that a you know there's kind of rules that we go by it can't be what every bar band is playing because you can go into Noah's in Poughkeepsie, you can go into Juan Murphy's, you, you know, chances are they're playing a Journey song or they're playing like, you know, a Tom Petty song, which we do Tom Petty, but that's that's our second thing. Right. The way we do a song is changed a little bit. We kind of put our own flavor on it, our stamp on it. We uh, like we do Stevie Wonder Superstition and we kind of uh, dissected the song a little bit. It's a little bouncier. It's a little quicker, but we also throw a punk part in there where it's totally fast. Uh, you know, so it's like always throwing, always turning the song on its ear a little bit, doing it our way. So that's the criteria for anything we do. It's got to be a little outside the box and we're just going to put our stamp on it and do it how we want to do it. And, uh, so far so good. I mean, we have like a set of 40 something songs, uh, we can play three hours or more and just, I mean, we've pulled songs out of our ass too. That's how good these guys are. Um, you know, some girl at a bar was like, do you guys know any Motley Crue? And we're like, not really. I mean, what do you want? Kickstart my heart? And we just did it. You know. Let me tell you something. Todd knows Motley Crue. 
I grew, up, <laughs> I grew up with Todd, and he knows Motley Crue. He knows Motley Crue. He was in a band, Slayground, in high school, and he was they know Motley Crue. <laughs> uh, there was another one, funny, a, a Sublime song. Mm-hmm. You know what I got? It was yeah. like, oh. I mean, I guess you've heard these songs in your life enough, right? Uh, thing with Enter Sandman, Metallica. It was like, yeah, yeah, we could do it. Come on, one, two, three, four, and just do it. And if we fall off, that we just kind of make it our own way and cover the mistake and just kind of all of a sudden it gets weird and then it comes back and we free jam it or whatever. I mean, there's all these codes we have that work our way through to the end and it works. I, I, uh, I would imagine that um, in some ways, you know, like uh, it's like you said, you're so focused on hate breed and that's like your, that's your serious job. Like it's, it's your dream job, but it's still, your job and then something like this has just got to be more freeing more fun yeah i'm guessing hatebreed doesn't like to, they don't do a lot of tom petty or shaka khan covers no, <laughs> so. no. unfortunately no <laughs> unfortunately no yeah not, you know it's not there's it's, it is a job yeah. yeah um but it's still a fun job so it's not like a grueling job but you're absolutely right in that you know, there's, it's like, you know, you go to work, but this is different. Like we jam at my house. So it's like old school. We're jamming in the basement, you know, like crack a couple beers, jam for two hours. You're jamming cover songs, songs that you like, or songs that you've heard like, oh yeah, it's got a cool drum beat. I'm going to do this or whatever, you know, kind of taking it in a different direction. So it's strictly fun. There's no pressure. There's no, uh, there's no, no negative whatsoever with anything. Now, uh, speaking of beers, Matt, uh, nice segue. Segue into, uh, go ahead. So, well, yeah, speaking of hatebreed too, um, COVID comes out and everybody can't go on the road and we're, we're stifled. So we've always talked about doing a beer, linking up with a good brewery and, and doing like a hatebreed beer. And in 2020, we were able to do that. So uh, we established Breed Brew. And uh, we've done two beers in that time. Uh, we, we hooked up with a brewery out in Southington, Connecticut called Witch Doctor Brewing. Good bunch of guys. The head master brewer there, Rob Todd, he's a, he's a Pittsfield Mass guy. So he hung out in Albany a lot back in the day and in Western Mass. So he came, you know, he's seen Hatebreed from the start in basements, playing basement shows and stuff. So he's the brewer and he was on board immediately like, oh, I love you guys, man. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, first beer we did was a lager. And it was a lighter lager, four and a half percent. And we called, called it Live for This Lager after one of our tunes off of our 2003 album, uh, Rise of Brutality. So Oh, nice. Nifty little artwork here. So that was the first one we did. And um, I uh, linked up with Halftime in Poughkeepsie. And they're based out of Mamarinic, too. So they were able to ship the beer. Uh, so you could order it through them. And uh, it was great. The, the main focus for me was like, you know, if you're around here, great. You know where the brewery is. Cool. We did beer events there where we had fans come and we were signing and taking pictures and just blasting music and drinking the beer. But I hooked up with Halftime to be able to ship it to, uh, they ship to like 38 states throughout the country and you can order through their website. So we were able to get the beer, you know, to fans in Oregon or, or Iowa or whatever, you know, that, that can't make it out here. And they were stoked, you know, ordering it by the case and just to have the can, you know, the beer is actually really good either yeah. way, but just to have the can. And then uh, to follow it up, we ended up doing a pale ale as well. So we went a little heavier with the pale ale. It was uh, 
5.8%. And we did uh, perseverance pale ale. Oh, that's great. And, so and, the, and the, the, the response has been good. The response has been great. Yeah. It's been reviewed uh, by some beer in the beer nerd culture, a couple guys, and, and they put their stamp of approval on it. And um, yeah, I mean, uh, if you can find it now, we, we did a couple runs of each, each uh, beer through halftime. And then when it sold out, we didn't re up it. Yeah. Um, they might have some left in the store or online, but uh, you know, at some point we'll probably do another one, but it was more of like a COVID project at the time with not being able to tour, not being able to play live. It was another cool thing from the band to bring the fans and, and just keep it fresh, you know, put yeah. something out there. That's just cool. Um, I know a lot of bands were doing like the uh, online concerts and stuff like that, like playing in a room. Uh, we didn't, I don't know. That's not us. Part of being at a hate breed show is being there, uh, you know, in the pit or in front of the stage or even being in the back, just the music blasting you in the face and jumping up and down and everything. I, I don't think that would translate. No, it's, this. it's hard. You know, yeah. Watching. It's hard. It was the same thing with comedy. I didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't begrudge any comics that were doing Zoom comedy, like, you know, especially corporate shit that you got to make money. I got that, but I, I tried one or two of them and I just, like, if, if I'm not going to hear laughs, I want to, I want to look at the people not laughing at me. I at least want to be able <laughs> right. to look them in the eye. Right. And be able to be like, fuck you, Poughkeepsie. Right. <laughs> Wasn't that supposed to be the name of your album? Yes. It, it still is. It's coming out. We've been lazy. And actually uh, reopened the club after COVID. He had a sold out weekend and he he uh, recorded his album in Poughkeepsie. Yeah, we oh, recorded wonderful. it. The, the, first time, the first time I uh, worked for Dan in Poughkeepsie, um, it wasn't going great. And uh, I made a joke about how I was going to kill myself after the show and they were going to read about it the next morning and all feel bad. And some dude, like not only did they not feel bad at that thought, um, some dude shouted out directions to the nearest bridge. That's and that's when I knew immediately that I had to book Ken again. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. This guy's legendary. Yes. <laughs> so that when it comes out, the album cover is actually me standing on the bridge with the mic around my neck, like I'm about <laughs> to hang myself. And the album's called Fuck You Poughkeepsie. Um <laughs> that's perfect. <laughs> I saw when you were talking about your own beer, I saw the wheels spinning in Dan's head. Like, like laugh it up cocaine. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. Let's do it. Mahoney's fentanyl. Listen, uh, back in the day, I remember, you know, when certain people were selling some cocaine, they used to cut it with baby formula. And uh, I don't think they're doing that these days. I guess. <laughs> Could you imagine? I was, I was. They're probably probably cutting their baby formula with cocaine. It's cheaper. (laughs) (laughs) It is Poughkeepsie. I mean, (laughs) I was thinking. I've like I've never sold merch, but I was thinking maybe I'll start selling baby formula after the shows. Yeah, like uh, Stanhope does. He steals all the Bibles from the hotels and he signs them, sells them after the show. Oh, is that true? Great idea. That's hilarious. Great idea. Comes in with a suitcase full of them. Every. He'll go every room he's in. He steals the Bibles out of both sides, signs them, 
That's a great idea. That's his merch. He's a lunatic. Yeah. Coming back. Yeah. <laughs> um, Matt, I so I always had this theory about metal band. And I'll admittedly, I'm not, I'm not, I don't know metal uh super well. But um is it like I feel like most dudes get into music to, to meet girls, and then the metal guys go into a field where you don't get a lot of girls uh, at the shows or, or do, is it, are your shows mostly dudes? Oh, you're talking about a hate breed show. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If there's any girls there, it's because they're there with their dude <laughs> and they got drugged there. <laughs> That's what's up. <laughs> or drugged while they were there. Yeah, and there's not like a hate breed show isn't known for chicks, that's for sure. But that's what Lemmy always said. Hey, I started doing this for the chicks. Yeah. You know, first first and foremost. Uh I don't know if I you know, it's been too long too long of a time. Um, because I don't think I did this for the chicks because I sucked when I first started and I wasn't gonna get any <laughs> chicks. It was horrible. I started I tried guitar first and I yeah. sucked. Oh my god. I jumped over to drums after, I don't know. I don't, it seems like for, I tried guitar forever, but it was probably only a span of like three or four months before I jumped over to drums and I kind of got it a little more and it clicked. And I had, my uncle's a drummer too. So that helped. And that's how I got my first drum set. He had a drum set sitting around and was like, look, man, I'll give you this thing for free, but um, I'm not just going to give it to you to bang on and make noise. Go take a couple lessons. If you like it, start to understand what you're doing. Here's my practice pad. It was that old wood block Mm -hmm. practice pad. So, you know, go buy a pair of sticks, start taking some lessons, see how you like it. And then uh, if you're going to, if you think you're going to take off with it, I'll give you the kit. And that's exactly what happened. Sal's music in Wappingers Falls was where I took lessons with a guy named Mike Shapiro. And uh, coincidentally, one of the good things about Facebook because there's a lot of bad stuff about it. Jesus, with all the people ranting and raving about this or that. But uh, I ended up finding Mike. So Mike, he he taught me for probably four years and then he moved down to the city. So at the time he was going to get a broad, he got a gig on Broadway or something. So I was like, damn, man, I started with him and, and I felt like I'd come so far. The first song I ever learned to play was Def Leppard Hysteria. It was just like, <laughs> But I had graduated to like rock and roll, John Bonham and like playing Metallica. And, you know, he would always show me how to play my stuff. We'd do stuff out of the book, but we could also work on whatever song I brought him or whatever. So he moved away and I was like, man, oh. I always, after all the years, you know, now, then I got in this band and we were touring and we, I had a CD and like, you know, this is a big deal. Holy shit, I'm going to Europe. And I always want, I was like, I got to find this guy and tell him and I got to thank him. And, uh, yeah, I would always check Facebook and never saw him, never saw him. One day I found him. That's the guy, man. That's the guy. And I hit him up. And coincidentally, he's still in the city, still living in the same apartment that he moved down uh, in on, uh, where's he's not Mott Street, Macomb maybe or something like that. I mean, rent controlled. So he's still in there. Yeah, uh, He's still like giving lessons and everything like that. And the way it worked out was great since we're on the subject because I found him was like, dude, you know, I just want to thank you. And it blew his mind like, holy shit, I got to tell some of my students because they're fans. You know, they brought your stuff in. And this is like total full circle type of moment. But um, I was like, well, I'd love to hook up with you. I'm coming down to the city. I got an opportunity uh, to play on Late Night with Seth Meyers because they do. So that was further like, what? What the hell? <laughs> so it was like, you know, because because um, 
they do the program where, where when Fred Armisen isn't sitting, you know, and on mm-hmm. drums, they bring in yeah. drummers from other bands yep. and you're in the hot seat, man, playing like, da, 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 da. and the guest is coming out like, and you got to nail this shit. Yep. So uh, it's, it's another level of like, you know, being a player and, and uh, it was a hell of an experience. So while I was down there doing that, we met for breakfast and we walked around the village and he was showing me like all the old, uh, old clubs that like H- Hendrix played here. And uh, it was right around where all the comedy clubs yeah, are, man, right, yeah. right there, that whole area. So we spent some time down there reminiscing and everything. I was like, Oh man, uh, you know, I just, I can't believe I was able to hook up with you and find you. Cause that was like nine, 1990 or 91 was when he uh, maybe 92 was when he moved away. Hadn't oh. seen him in all that time. So then we, some months later we played, um, at the time, what was it the PlayStation Theater there, which is now gone. They knocked it down, built condos, just yeah. like they did with Roseland. But yeah. he ended up bringing one of his students to the Hatebreed show and was like, dude, this is amazing. So I had like, that was around 2018, 2019. So that stretch of time, like, uh, was like, man, got to Facebook. Facebook actually did something good. Brought that us together. Oh, that's so cool. Able, you know, like, and uh, yeah, it was amazing, man. Oh, what a so, cool story. Um, well, yeah, that's that's where the journey started. Sal's music in Wapenters, right, right on Main Street, right there. Um, so Mike, uh, Mark Zuckerberg might call you in as a you know character reference for this <laughs> in one of his hundreds of millions of lawsuits for stealing everyone's. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> Listen to me ramble too. You didn't even ask that question, but I just take it and I run with it, man. Run with it. <laughs> you know Zuckerberg's listening, so you'll you'll be on the stand. Yeah, we have, most of our audience are uh, billionaires. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Elon Musk that's that's how up. I'm able to afford the curtain behind me. What a lovely curtain it is! <laughs> you are in a garage right now, aren't you? I'm I'm in a studio in uh, I'm in a studio in home in Homedale, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Oh, Homedale! All right, yeah. PNC. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um. Yeah. You mentioned, uh, I just, you had me thinking because you mentioned uh, the first song you learned to play was Hysteria. And I just, I remember, we, we've had Rick Allen on the show a few times. And I just, I remember this dude in high school who was, I can't even remember who the kid was. I just remember the conversation so clearly. He was so unimpressed with Rick Allen's drumming. Because you were like, it's fucking amazing what this dude's doing with one arm. And this kid yeah. would be like, he he just uses his feet to do everything else it's not that impressive that's what's impressive that makes it twice as impressive yeah the fact that he i mean you could it's been said so many times i'll just say it one more time the fact that he lost his arm and the band stood behind him and was like just do what you got to do man we're gonna make a comeback it's all good we're here for you yeah yeah and he taught himself to do that very cool. Yeah, I was I was never a huge Def Leppard fan, but I was a huge fan of how they did that for him. Because I love the first four albums. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, Hysteria included because yeah. it holds a special place with me. But even that album was great. Anything yeah. after that, I, I don't know. I didn't pay attention to. But first four records, man, they were great. I mean, Rick Allen wearing the freaking British flag shorts. Yeah, I the, mean, yeah, the yep, Union yep. Jack shorts. The photograph um, video on MTV, it was yes. awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I I appreciate those bands a lot more now than I did at the time. 
like Motley Crue, Def Leppard, a lot of, I mean, Def Leppard weren't, I feel like they got lumped in with hair. Like it, when I was a kid, they seemed like a hair metal band. But looking back, you were like, oh no, I think they were just a rock band from the 70s that happened to still be around when MTV came along. Yeah, yeah, they were definitely a rock band. They they got they got in '87, you know, when Hysteria came out, and they did "Pour Some Sugar on Me," which became the biggest stripper song ever. Yes. I think that's when hair metal just was like, "Yeah, you're ours. Yeah, you're coming with us." And uh, but yeah, no, they were always a rock band to me, just straight dirty rock man singing yes. about like drinking. And they got a song called "Wasted." I mean, come on, they're great. Now speaking of wasted. Uh, on the tour you're going out with now, Anthrax, Black Label Society, Hatebreed. Um, I know you've been out on Ozfest, right? And you've have you seen uh, Pre Sober Zach? Have you worked with him? Oh yeah, back when he was an animal. Oh yeah, seen it. Yeah, I mean, seen it, still- enjoyed it. Yeah, watched it. I saw him body slam a guy through a table. Uh, right at the right at their signing, you know, because Ozfest, like every artist would sign, yeah, play the show, and then soon after you'd sign, you know, at the Jaeger booth or whatever, yeah. And he would Zach would do his own signing, you know, because it's Zach Wild, he does whatever the fuck he wants, but yeah, uh, yeah, stories of Sharon, like you know, sending out reports, where's Zach? Go find him, get him on his bus, he's not allowed to leave, keep him on his bus, you know, he's getting out, getting into trouble or whatever, uh, but yeah, I watched him, uh. Watched him body. It might have been Jericho. He body slammed Jericho through a really? table. And it might have been in Jersey, actually. Come to think of it, it might have been 2004? That sounds, 2002 or 2004. That sounds like something that would happen in Jersey. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> yeah. If, if it didn't oh, happen yeah, in Poughkeepsie, it happened in Jersey, I'm guessing. <laughs> <laughs> Post, uh, post-partying, Zach, yeah, a little more s- subdued. You know, know, the tour we did with them in 2015, it was Butcher Babies, Us, and Black Label. And uh, he's all business. Gets out there, kills it every night. Goes into the crowd shredding, holding his guitar over his head in the middle of the pit. You know, he's just a hell of a performer. Yeah. That's got to be one of the, I would think, one of the toughest jobs in the world is like when you got to be the dude that wrangles the rock star and, and has to keep him away from drugs and alcohol and get them yeah. to the show on time. There, there can't be anything more stressful. No, I wouldn't. I mean, the similar situation in 2008 when we were out with typo negative and uh, we did a Jägermeister tour with typo. <laughs> and it was, it was, it was sick just because it's hate breed, which is, you know, crazy moshing and all this. And then you got typo negative negative, which is like the goth rock, you know, mm-hmm. but their roots come from, the New York city, hardcore punk, you know, metal. So, um, yeah, I remember like we had a conversation at some point on the tour because we ended up like growing down with them and it was awesome. It's one of the best tours I've ever done in my life. Um, cause the band was just great. And, uh, we flip-flopped. It was like a co-headliner Jägermeister sponsored thing. So we, we had, um, every night there would, uh, we'd, pick a specific dressing room in the club and we would, uh, it was called the kiss room and it was fully decked out in kiss memorabilia and kiss, like cut out the cardboard, cut out of Gene Simmons and shit. <laughs> and the only music that was allowed to be played in there was kiss. And that was our after party every night. And it was really just for us. It was for us, the bands, 
Another band that was on it was Three Inches of Blood from Canada. They're great, great metal band. And we broke down with them in 2007 on one of the Ozfests. So it was like a brotherly hang. So every after every show, it was the, the Kiss Club, we called it. And you just go rage, you know, all night, like just rocking out the Kiss and drinking beer and you bring people back and everyone's just partying all the time. But um, Pete Steele, you know, that was that was around the time where he was, uh, you know, he was having some issues and he was partying or coming out of partying where he had hit it really hard. And the tour manager, that was his job to keep alcohol away from Pete, you know, and not let him get involved with anything like that. So he wasn't part of those hangs. He sauntered through once in a while, but you know, they kept him away from all that stuff. Um, yeah. That's I wouldn't want to have that job. Cause then you, you think Pete Steele, he's just, just this hulking guy. Yeah. You try to keep him away from doing whatever he wants to do. Good yeah. luck. And especially with Ozzy, I mean, Ozzy and Zach, that was a two headed snake. So who do you chase? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Go get Ozzy this way. Zach goes that way. And you know, good luck getting both of them. Yeah. Did, did, did you, you go, know? did you go to the chance show, Matt, when uh, Ozzy rolled into town as Blizzard of Oz? No. When Zach first joined the band? No, no. Yeah, Sharon uh, Sharon was shadowing the Black Sabbath tour at that time. When Ozzy was just getting Zach into the band and they were trying to get ready to go back out. So she was setting up these shows under Blizzard of Oz and going to small clubs while Black Sabbath played the same night at the Civic Center. That's when Iomi was in his, you know, pretty much just Iomi days. Uh -huh. And uh, so she was crushing their tour. And uh, yeah, they came in with Zach and that was like his first gigs with Ozzy. One of them was at the chance. Babyface Zach. Yeah. 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 And everything. Yeah. Did, did yeah. You no, I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't. I was honestly, I was like too young for that. Yeah. It, it was, it was pre uh, that was pre run DMC for me. Like I mean, that was way back. Yeah. What was that like? Uh, 85, 86. Yeah, it was probably 14, so it was probably 86. Yeah. Yeah, and I was like, uh, that that year, like, I was coming into metal around that time. I oh. still have a tape. My neighbor, who I grew up with, who since passed away, but he had, for Christmas one year, he burned me the first two, uh, burned me. He, he <laughs> made, that's where we're at, right? <laughs> he, uh, he made me a tape of the first two Ozzy albums, and I still have it. And I still have the tape with his handwriting on it, wrote out each song and everything. And, you know, from it, it, the, the pen has faded a little bit, but I still have that tape. And when he passed away, I pulled it out. I was like, man, his writing on it and everything played the tape for a little while still holds up. That was my exposure to Ozzy. Wow. The first two records. Did, did you know that, um, Oz, we had a, we had a comedian named Jimmy Schubert on and he was, uh, Sam Kinison was one of his best friends. And he, he used to tour the country opening for him at the height of Sam's fame. And uh, he told us a story that when Sam uh, got out of AA, his sponsors were Ozzy and Steven Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he was in the green room at a Skinnison show one night. And they were telling him that it's okay to do a little coke if you don't get too drunk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is not going to work. That's going to fall off the rails immediately. <laughs> it, it, it apparently it didn't work out, but um, no. 
<laughs> I can't oh, imagine <laughs> fucking Ozzy and Steven Tyler. It's funny. I went down a Sam Kinison rabbit hole just like a week ago. I don't know why it popped in my head. I think like just uh, surfing online and there was like a clip of him at Dangerfields back in the day and he's just screaming his head off. So, you know, like, damn, yeah, we're Sam Kinison. So I just started, you know, Googling this and that videos and reading this and that and it'll like all comes back to you, you know? Cause I remember that, that those, that Rodney Dangerfield special. I mean, mm-hmm. there was a bunch of that would be on HBO and you had like Bob Nelson, you had Jerry Seinfeld, yep. you had Sam Kinison, you know, you had, um, who was it? Uh, Judy Tenuta, I think. Yep. Right. Like, man, that was some classic shit. And I remember all that stuff. Like I watched that. It was, it was on, I had it on VHS cause we taped it and I watched it more of the tape out. Yep. Yeah. I had the same thing. I would sit cross-legged uh, in front of the TV in my dad's basement and play that tape. I would watch the entire tape, rewind it and then play it again. Start it over. Yeah. Yeah. It was great, man. I got, I got to see Bob Nelson. Uh, oh, this is, I don't know how many years ago he did the Bardavon mm-hmm. in Poughkeepsie. So I got to catch him. It was like years and years and years after that, but he was still doing some of those same jokes and they still held up because yeah. everyone's sitting there waiting for yes. him. That is like perfect stuff. You that, know? That's Great. how you know you're a good comedian when, when people are like want to hear the hits, like usually like comedians, it's like, Oh, I heard that once. What else do you have? And when, when you've got, you know, guys like uh, Nelson, I remember, um, that special, you know, where he did the the football characters, the the football team, um, that was the first comedian as a little kid that I like fell in love with, and I memorized that routine, and I could do it word for word at one point. Oh, that's I, amazing! I think I did it like in my fifth grade talent show. Like I just went up and did his act, and <laughs> um, I. Uh, somebody offered. So he was the first comedian that I remember being a real big deal to me. But then I very quickly moved on to like Kinnison and Eddie Murphy and, you know, all the dirtier comics. And um, somebody a few years ago offered me a spot to open for Bob Nelson. And and my first instinct was, oh my God, I have to. That was my childhood hero. But then my next instinct was like, oh, he'd hate me. Right. He would he would absolutely hate me and I I don't I don't want to do that to him or his crowd and I passed on it. I'm surprised that wasn't your first instinct. <laughs> no, my first instinct is always like, yes, yeah, say yes, do the show. Like um when you got offered the spot with Kreskin. Oh, well the yeah. Amazing Kreskin. The amazing Kreskin, yeah. He had me fired. <laughs> He hated you that much. No, 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 no. It was, it was a he, he just, he doesn't use openers. And, um, it was, it was actually a funny story. Like his manager, one, somebody in his camp knows me. And he, I saw him at a club one night and he was like, Hey, Ken, he was like, how would you like to open for the amazing Kreskin? And I was like, like not too much, you know, like, I don't, not at all. I don't think that's something I, I need to do. And he nah. was, yeah, he was <laughs> like, and it's no disrespect. You know what? It's, it's no disrespect to Kretz. I'm just not into magic. No, it is. It is. Sure. 
It's it's there's there's no magician where I would be like, oh yeah, that sounds. You know what I mean? Like I just magic is just weird to me. Um, would you open for? Was it Jeff Dunham? I I mean because he's huge and that would put me in front of a huge crowd. Sure, but, but I, otherwise it's not not it's not not, not my thing. You know what? Yeah. All uh, he has uh, he puts out albums, which blows my mind. Yeah, he, he's a ventriloquist who does albums. Right. So it's like <laughs> you're just people are just so familiar with his material that they can just shut their eyes and listen to it. Right. And they know the voices of the characters. I just feel like does he just every few minutes like trust me, my mouth's not moving. You you can't tell, <laughs> but I promise you, my mouth's not moving. <laughs> but so so yeah, so Kreskin's buddy was like, "Oh, I'm going to put you on the show," and I was like, "That's okay. You don't need to." And then um. The show was booked and uh, the guy who who owns the club, I I was on like another good show. Like I was on a show that I wanted to be on and uh, he calls me up. He's like, I need you to do me a favor. You were requested by Kreskin's people. Can you can you open for Kreskin? And I was like, oh, I got bumped from a show I wanted to do and put on the amazing Kreskin. The problem is. Nobody told the amazing Kreskin that somebody was coming to open for him. And apparently he doesn't use openers. So I got in the car and I'm halfway to like Philly or something. I'm halfway to a show that I don't even want to be at. And then I get the call like, yeah, you're you're bumped. Kreskin doesn't uh, he doesn't want you here. And um, (laughs) I got I was pissed. (laughs) I was pissed. I uh, and then I went on like a little Facebook thing the next day. Um, I th- it started off innocently. Uh, I I posted or tweeted something like, "Wow, like Kreskin still got it. He made me disappear." <laughs> 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 and then I don't even remember what the. But then that got such a good response. I I posted another one that was just a little bit meaner. But I honestly don't even remember what I said. And then by the end of the day, I'd received a cease and desist from his manager, like not an official one, like just a threatening email, um, which just made me uh, post about it more. More, yeah. more. <laughs> kicks the door wide open. Yeah. <laughs> Needless to say, you won't be on the uh, Kreskin's final tour. Um. I, I thought that was Kreskin's final tour when I, when I is he still alive? He can't possibly still be at it, can he? I don't know if he's still I, alive. I think he's sure. still alive, but I don't know if he's still, do do you know the the greatest uh the greatest magician comedy story I ever heard? Yeah, um, was that at my show? No, oh, when the magician fell off the stage. Fell off the stage. That's not that's just my favorite moment. And I've been doing comedy for 15 years. And when people are like, what was your, what's your favorite moment? I was like, I was in Poughkeepsie one night and and a magician was in the middle of a trick and fell off the stage. It wasn't supposed to be a comedy show, yeah. but it turned into one really no. quickly. No, it was a pitch for kids benefit, Matt, and uh, for the Renegades. And we were doing a show on Hopewell at uh, La Chambord. And it was uh, me, Ken, uh, who was on that? Mark Riccadonna? Mark Riccadonna. We had to leave the room because we were laughing so hard. And the fact that he didn't spring up and go, ta-da, I was like, that was your one chance to bring the house down. Oh, yeah. Just 
just fucking ate it. <laughs> right, right off the stage, and Ken goes, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was, I was supposed to open the night before. Do you remember the scenario? I was supposed to open for Stormy Daniels on Saturday night for you. And uh, then you were like, as long as you're coming up for a one night or stick around Sunday and I'll put you on this fundraiser. So I drove up Friday night to to be there for Saturday on time. You know, I know Stormy was like a, a big draw for you guys. And uh, Stormy cancels like the morning of the show. Yeah, like two o'clock in the morning. Yeah, I remember that. So now there's no show and I'm like, motherfucker, like now I'm just up in Poughkeepsie for a weekend for no reason. And I got to stick around till Sunday to do this dumb fundraiser. <laughs> and then the minute that magician fell off the stage, I was like, it was all work. I don't even care that I didn't get to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All work. <laughs> weekend <was>, made. <laughs> yeah. But the, the, the greatest uh, story I ever heard about a magician was from uh, Dave Landau, who's, who's this really funny comic. He's like a brilliantly funny comic. But he was telling me this story how years ago he was at a club and he was opening for a magician or a magician was on the show. And the club had bay windows facing the street. And for some reason, the comedian thought, the magician thought that they were like those one-way windows where you can see out, but you can't see in. And uh, there was this really hot chick who was like putting herself together and, you know, like looking at her reflection in the mirror and, you know, like pushing her tits together or whatever, you know, to like look hotter. And he thought that she couldn't see him. So he's standing in front of her and he's going like, he's going like this. He's like motioning to his dick like he wants her to suck it, you know, <laughs> and he thinks that she can't see him. And she immediately looks mortified. You know, she clearly sees the entire thing. And uh, Dave says she turns her head and calls to somebody. And then into frame comes lumbering like the biggest linebacker, bald headed, <laughs> steroid, juiced up looking motherfucker you ever saw. Oh, God. All tatted up. And she points to the magician and the guy, you know, like you could see the steam coming out of his head, he said, and he walks in he throws open the door magician turns to dave like what should you do like what should i do and dave was like i'd disappear you know if i were you <laughs> and he said that the dude just comes in throwing punches and hit you know he he connects he starts hitting them but every time he punches the magician parts of his act would fly out oh. <laughs> 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 and he the says flowers are like yeah yeah dogs <laughs> flying away a rabbit yes, yeah so he said what it was it was over in like five seconds and he's lying there like in a just in a pool of blood and glitter and colored handkerchiefs <laughs> couple doves laying next to him <laughs> yeah a, rat, a rabbit limping away yeah. <laughs> pigeons just like what happened yeah <laughs> so, so speaking of onstage violence, Matt, what's uh, what's the best story you have? Oh. Any any on any tour of just 
I mean, you guys have intense shows. I've seen you probably six, seven times, and like it gets crazy. I mean, gets crazy. Ever have, yeah. yeah, ever have anybody up on stage like cause some serious, serious havoc? Or well, it, it, it's hard to say. I mean, when we were doing shows without a barricade, which nowadays we, you know, it's the clubs we play. You know, barricades probably going to be up. Rarely do we play any uh, non-barricade shows. We've had like our share of lawsuits over the years. We've had somebody jump off a balcony in Pittsburgh and land between the barricade and the stage. Oh. Kid ended up dying. Oh. Uh, I remember my second show ever with Hatebreed was at Pearl Street in Northampton, Massachusetts. If you've ever been there, a girl on the barricade, you know, had one of her fingers snapped. It was Halloween. Somebody stage oh. died, came down on her oh. hand, like crazy stuff like that. So there's always been you know, wild stuff like that. It's a, it's a hardcore show. It's a punk show, it's a metal show, you know, people moshing. Um, any, band so, alter, any band altercations? You guys ever have to take anybody down on stage? Our, our crew guys have. Yeah, sure. I mean, soon after, uh, I mean, soon after 2004, when Dimebag Daryl got shot on stage, you know, it was like off limits for any band. So anybody jumping on stage, they were immediately tackled like a football player, gone, done, out the door. See ya. Um, speaking of time, I mean, this is a great story. It's not really like a violent story or anything like that, but it's always one that sticks out in my head when somebody asks, like, you know, what, what's something you remember about touring or whatever, just from doing it over the years. Uh, we did in 2004, we did tour with Damage Plan when, when Diamond Vinny were coming back, you know, that was their first tour that Damage Plan did as a band. So it was co-headlining with us and a band called Unearth from Massachusetts was opening, which we've known those guys forever. So it was just awesome. Here we are like on tour with the guys from Pantera. It was a month long tour. Um, and we were in Portland, Oregon. I forget that it was the Roseland theater, um, which I think it's still called the Roseland. If not, it's called something else, but a uh, legendary place. Everyone goes through and plays there. And uh, it was like, must've been halfway through the tour, maybe a little more. So, you know, um, Dimebag and Vinny, man, they were fans. It was awesome. It's great that they wanted their first tour to be with us. So they were yeah. like, we want to go out with Hatebreed, which was sick. So um, I remember I was like, <clears throat> I think this was a night where they, uh, they were going to headline. So we were going on right before them. We flip-flop co-headliner and they were going to headline and uh, I'm off to the, uh, off in the wings of the stage. They're setting up the stage and I'm just warming up. It was in this little closet area and uh, Dimebag comes in. He like bursts into the closet. And he's like, you know, you guys, what time are you guys going on? I was like, oh, we're, we're going on soon. We have this uh, song called, on our Perseverance album, we have a song called Final Prayer. And on the record, uh, we had Kerry King rip the solo for the song. So we were doing that song during the set. And he was, uh, he was like, all right, all right. You know, I just want, I don't want to miss your set. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, we'll be on soon. You know, I'm warming up. So while the guys are setting up, our, our crew setting up our stuff on stage, um, Dimebag's guitar tech at the same time, this guy Moby, he was setting up Dimebag's pedal board on stage with our stuff. And we're like, dude, you're kind of getting, you know, we're going on now. You guys are after. He's like, oh yeah, don't worry. I'm just getting to jump on things. Anyway, we start, uh, we start our set and about halfway through, um, Dimebag like saunters out on stage with his guitar on and he had, he had written a handwritten sign that said final prayer on it. So he walked out and was like, you know, held it up to the crowd and held it up to us and just threw the sign away. Like we're going to play that your song now. Nice. 
because he had learned the song. It was never discussed. He learned the song. And he, of course, he was close with Kerry King. So it was just like wide open in two spots in the song to just shred solos. Yeah. So we're just looking at each other like, holy shit, let's do it. Boom. Busted into it. And uh, yeah, man, it was I got to jam with Dimebag, which was sick. Yeah. We end that song. And uh, I don't know. We're just he, he just did like, keep going, keep going. So I just started playing the intro to Raining Blood. Because <laughs> we used to do like the first part of it. And we did that. And we bust, we did half a Raining Blood with Dimebag too. Yeah, you know, you know, he could make that guitar well. Oh, it was awesome. And at the same time, of course, you know, Vinnie Paul is like walking behind me on the drum riser and he had like a lumberjack flannel on and dark glasses and a walking stick. And he's pretending like he's blind, uh-huh. bumping oh, into yeah, me and just like <laughs> sauntering around the stage. And, you know, Pat everybody. at the time, the singer, he was wandering out. It was like joke time kind of, but it was also really awesome because, yeah, we didn't know it was coming, man. Dimebag learned our song and was like, I want to jam this with you guys. Final prayer. Let's do it. So I'll never forget that. And then soon after that, I mean, he did two more tours with Damage Plan and then we all know what happened. So I'll always have that memory of like, yeah, holy shit, this rock star that I remember listening. You know, another thing to put on my list of things that have happened to me, like, holy shit, I got to jam with Dimebag for a hot minute. And it was our song. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. That's amazing. That's crazy. I I bet it feels sometimes like you're just in a vacuum you know, like you're, you're with your band and you're focused on that. And, you know, you, you don't even know if other artists are listening or if they care. And then, and then to have one of your heroes be like, let's do your song. That's, that's just yeah. Yeah. Amazing. It's mind blowing. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of that guy anyway, you know, I still, I was going to school to be a teacher. I, I went to SUNY Plattsburgh, you know, and right before I was supposed to do my student teaching and, and go on to get certified was when, uh, the hate breed opportunity came up in the late nineties. Like, and I was always playing in local bands around here and stuff. So to have that, like, Oh, these guys tour, they're in a van and trailer. I'm leaving school. I'm hitting the road. And you know, the, 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 the mental shift of like going from student to yeah. like, no, really, I'm going to take a chance on this because I'm never going to get this opportunity again. And school will always be right. Here. Yeah. You're probably, you're probably like oh, another year or two, I'll be back at school, but I'll have some cool stories. And that was, yeah. The, yeah, that was exactly it. <laughs> and, and that was it. Like, yeah, I'm going to get to tour and I'll, we'll see how long it lasts. And I just have that experience, you know? And then even going back and when I went back to the band in 2001 at the time, uh, they were on the Oz Fest and they had lost their drummer and they were like, dude, just come back. And, you know, Universal Records was looking at the band at the time. And they're on the Oz Fest. They're coming back to Connecticut. Management is looking like, dude, you got to fill in. Can you just, you know? I came home one day. I was registered to go back to school again. I had left to play with Hatebreed. That was over. Going signed up back to go to school. Before I can get back to school, like, dude, come, just fill in. We got to have these shows. These shows are going to be sick. They got to be sick. Just fill in. You know, we'll, we'll pay you, whatever. And uh, I did the shows, and the band got signed to Universal Record, which oh, wow. would, which would go on to be the Perseverance album. And uh, you know, I packed my bags and was like, man, I got to play Ozfest. This was cool. I did uh, Connecticut and Jersey and like Homedale, you know? Yeah. And uh, I was like, yeah, that was awesome. Wow. I hadn't played with the guys in a while, but it was like, we just picked up right where we left off and I just packed my bags and went back to school and I'm going to be the teacher guy. And then it goes on to like, Hey, we're, we're, we got signed to universal. Let's do a record. Uh, we'll pay you just to do a record. 
and uh, we're going to go on tour with Slayer. And it just keeps mounting up. And, and finally, I, it was just like, why don't I just be in the band again? Like, let's put all our bullshit aside and figure it out. And so right when I'm about to be a teacher, it's like, nope, foiled again. You're going on the road. And uh, here we are. That's so, great. Well, it's weird how you never know what direction uh, you're going to go in. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's wild. So these stories, like the Dimebag stories and the stories like that, like, oh, I get to play OzFest. This will be cool. And you, you don't know. I, I've never, I've, like I said, I've always been that guy. Like, I don't know when it's going to end. I don't take it for granted. I'm not the rock star asshole. People still ask me, like, you're in that band? You look like a teacher. <laughs> Well, that's coincidentally, hilarious. and then, you know, yeah, so it's not like I don't fit the bill, man. And yeah. that's kind of what I think is cool, I guess, in a certain way, because I don't fit in with any of this stuff. But uh, I just somewhere I I guess I do fit in yeah. and uh, I'm absorbing all these crazy life happenings. And, uh, you know, like I'm living a dream, man. I, it, it, sometimes it knocks me over the head, like the Anthrax tour. I'm like, we toured with Megadeth the end of last year. Never thought I'd tour with Megadeth. It fucking happened. We're going to tour with Anthrax. Holy shit. I just have to tour with Metallica and I've toured with all the bands that I grew up listening to that we all grew up listening yeah, to yeah. thrashing out and shit. And I'm like, I was just a kid going to SUNY Plattsburgh to be a teacher. That's amazing. And uh, yeah. So I try to keep myself in check with that when, uh, you know, I don't, I don't take it seriously. I guess that's what I'm getting at. Like, yeah. Dude, yeah, you're in hate that. breed. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm in hate breed. They're like, yeah, but you don't understand, dude. You know? And I'm like, yeah, we're just like, I don't know. I always saw us as just five dudes doing our thing. Yeah. I wonder, if Tiffany, I wonder if Tiffany ever like tries to convince people like, no, I'm telling you the hate breed guy had opened for us. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit. I hope we get to do it again. Cause now I'm going to, I didn't even get a chance to meet her. This time I'm going to tell her the story. Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. I'm sure Debbie Gibson's out. <laughs> I would, no joke. I would love to get either one of them on this show. Like they, it, it, I'm so, I'm so fascinated by the, those careers where it's like, you were the biggest thing on the planet for like two years. Three days. Yeah. yeah. But still you were, you were there and it allows you to have a career until, you know, until you're gone. It's still, yeah. Now she's still playing. It's funny. Like the, the weeks, was it, was it before it was a couple weeks before. So I go down, my guitar player, Frank lives in Florida, Florida, Frank, we call him. He's a Disney freak, knows everything. Disney inside and out could tell you the resorts, how they work this. What do they do here? All this stuff. Frank has a drinking team for Epcot. You know, you go to Epcot and you do the beers around the world. The Walt Disney World drinking team started it like, uh, I don't know, it's got to be 11 or 12 years ago now. You get shirts, you got all the countries are on the back. You drink a beer at the yeah. country, you check it off on your shirt, you know, that whole thing. So I go down plenty of times and hang with them when we're not on the road. And, uh, you know, in, in, in Epcot, the country America has the stage, has the amphitheater there. And it, we were we were rolling through one time and Tiffany was playing and she was, you know, doing all cover songs and shit. And it was just like, we were getting ready to go on tour with dropkick Murphy's. Uh, it was the end of 2018 clutch and dropkick Murphy. So we were hanging out before the tour and we're at Disney. Holy shit. Tiffany's playing. This is wild. Oh my God. Remember her. And then, yeah, we did the dropkicks tour and that's when the opportunity, it must've been the same tour for her. Yeah. Because I was like, I'm going home to open for Tiffany. 
<laughs> I would have been just as excited about that as like Anthrax, to be honest. Just the story. Oh, it was stoked, man. Stoked. The flyer was great. Still got it saved on my phone. Yeah. She actually, her band ripped. It was a bunch of Nashville dudes that she put together, and they were just, they were all great at what they do. You know, to, to play in Nashville, you got to be. When 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 McRitchie asked me to open for Stormy Daniels, it is the fastest yes I've ever given to anything <laughs> in my life. Because I was the like, poster. It, it is, it is, oh yeah, send, <laughs> when we're done, send Matt the flyer from that. It's, <laughs> it's the greatest flyer. The flyer is, I'm, she i'm busting out of her cleavage you see my head just popping out of her tits and there's i think there was like cum everywhere and uh but it was and and other people said to me i had other comics telling me like you shouldn't be opening for her like that's you know why why would you want your name associated with and i was like why wouldn't you like why wouldn't that be the fastest yes you ever gave of course. It's gonna be the best story ever, and it ended up being the best story ever because I got to see a magician fall off the stage the next day. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Matt, thank you so much. I hope you'll, I hope you had fun, and I hope you'll come on again because oh, I, I, feel I had like a great time. I hope I didn't service. ramble too much. I tend to get on something and I'll just go. Yeah, no, no, no. This, this was great. Um, so other than, uh, other than, um. The tour this summer where where can people find it do you want to give out your social media where where can people find yeah. you so my personal social media instagram is matthew peter burn you can find me on facebook matt burn and of course all the hate breed socials there's a uh, hate breed official on instagram and uh hate breed on facebook and twitter and uh through those portals you can see our tour schedule we have some random show festivals in the united states in may and july uh actually next weekend we're playing so what festival in dallas texas with nice. a bunch of bands huge and then uh july we'll be doing the this is hardcore festival uh in philadelphia it's a yearly thing it's a, a weekend long thing festival old hardcore bands new hardcore bands it's great a lot of fun uh some other random shows in july and then we hit the road with anthrax july 26th oh, that'll, be that'll take us through to the end of the year there might be some stuff well, to the end of the summer, yeah. there might be some more stuff brewing for the end of the year, but nothing's announced yet. All right, Dan, what what uh, who's coming up at the club? Well, let's see. We uh, we booked Dice. Andrew Dice Clay will be there uh, in July. Uh, like I said, we've got Doug Stanhope coming back through. Um, Aaron Berg is coming up in a couple weeks. Uh, Mark Norman's coming in for two shows. So we've got a lot coming up. Laughitup.net. If you're in Pokip- if you're in Poughkeepsie, if you're unfortunate enough to be in Poughkeepsie, <laughs> I've been there's right literally now. nothing better to do. Go go check out go check out uh laugh it up. If you want to see where Ken was gonna kill himself, <laughs> we're right in front of the Mid Hudson Bridge at Mahoney's. <laughs> Ken, what do you have coming up? I have um this weekend you can catch me with um I'm looking at the dates. The 20th and 21st, I will be at Bananas in New Jersey with Adrian Iapalucci, who is uh, one of the all-time greatest joke writers. Amazing. Yeah. It'll He's be incredible. a fun show. All right. Matt, thank you so much. It was nice thank meeting you. you. We'll thanks have for you having back me. on for sure. And uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks.